I'd like to welcome everyone to this brand new episode of Talent Talks. I'm your host, Andrew Mitchell, and today I'm joined alongside Dan Hawkins, president and founder of Summit Leadership Partners. Dan, welcome to the show today. Great to have you on. Andrew, thanks for having me. It's nice to speak with you. Yeah, of course. Perfect timing for us to get this podcast going with our upcoming conference on private equity. And I know my team is going to have the chance to meet you out there. So really looking forward to that and really delving into this great topic of working with founder CEOs. Yes, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to talking to you further about it. Yeah, of course. So, you know, let's start off, Dan. Tell us about your experience working with founder CEOs. Yeah, well, um, I guess to begin with, you know, we've uh, summit leadership partners. I'd say probably sixty-five or seventy-five percent, sixty to seventy percent of our business is with uh, private equity investors and venture capital investors. And probably not surprising to you, um, most many of the investments that PE and VC makes tends to be in their deal making tends to be involved founders. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we we found that uh, you know, working with with founder led uh, founder led companies and founder CEOs, it's uh, it's off, it often can be a tricky scenario to walk through to uh, for companies to uh, you know not only scale the company but al- but also get back their return. So we've we we work um, I wouldn't say exclusively with founder CEOs, but quite a bit. Um, so I'd also say in my career, um, I've, uh, I've actually worked I, you know, as a, as a former CHRO, I've actually worked for two founder CEOs in my career. So I've have a, have a bit of experience there, but also I'd say probably more recently have, uh, have worked with many, many clients that, uh, have founder CEOs in place. Um, I'd say probably on a final note, I, I actually am one. So I formed <laughs> Summit Leadership Partners almost uh, five years ago. So I, you know, after working with them for, for 25 years, I became one. And so I, I could say I've, I'm now, you know, walking, walking, you know, a few miles in their shoes. Yeah. So I'd, I'd like and, to say that we've got quite a bit of experience there. <laughs> yeah. And that definitely helped you because you definitely were able to learn a lot over those uh, previous years. And did that give you any advantage or any tips really that you were able to transition into, you know, building your own firm? It, you know, I think it has, Andrew. I mean, um, you know, founders, you know, tend to be uh, very passionate people about what they do and what they've, you know, frankly, what they've begun. It's, it's, you know, it's often, you know, their business is, it's like a child. They're, uh, they're often very visionary, uh, ambitious people that, you know, you know, you know identified, a, a, a some sort of market or customer cause to champion and, and we're able to rally resources people and you know and eventually capital around and um, you know I think that uh, that holds true even from when you know I'd, I'd say it's very applicable to, to summit leadership partners and what we've we've done here over the last four or five years mm-hmm. um, but uh, but I think that uh, as, as we'll talk about we'll there's also some pitfalls from working with founders and I think uh, well there's they're very attractive investments for private equity and venture capital there are also um, there's some things to, to consider as you're investing in that company where you're, you're banking on uh, an individual who was there at the beginning and you you know often you, you'd like them to be there for for many years to come yeah exactly and that's a really good point Dan now why are founder-led companies often attractive investments for PE and VC firms well uh, Andrew, often, 
you know, private equity invest, investors and, and venture capital investors are, you know, they're, they're clearly, you know, goal one, they're looking for, for great returns. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, there's a lot of research out there that founder-led companies outperform publicly traded companies and outperform companies that are that are uh, you know maybe uh, owned um, by by other entities so founder-led companies um, just they do ha- tend to have track records but a lot of the great ideas that that begin um, you know begin with an individual or, or, or a few individuals on on where there uh, there's a you know once again a, a, a market or a customer cause to or problem to solve mm-hmm. and uh, you know when 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 investors are looking at founders, you know, founders are te- are often great visionaries, very passionate, super ambitious people yeah, exactly. um, that have a, a unique ability. They're, they've got a long term vision, but have this really um, hyper focus on with a bias for action, and uh, have the ability to balance longer term aspirations for solving market or customer needs. While also mobilizing people, making decisions um, that uh, that allow to, to yield you know pre- pretty exciting returns for companies. They you know they tend to cut through the bureaucracy and the BS that larger you know maybe a larger company or mm-hmm. more established company um, has, has historically had in place. And often the especially in private equity, private equity believes not only are they injecting capital into the the formula that maybe the founders need access to, but they're also providing a degree of expertise and resources, and they're bringing them to the party to help the company scale. So the found, very often the founder is able to you know grow this business to a certain point, but to get to the next level, and it, um, they need not only the capital but also you know some expertise around supply chain, information technology, M and A, human capital, whatever it may be. So many of these investors think, hey, this is something that I can provide mm-hmm. that maybe the founder ha- has not had access or experience in before. So that becomes the, uh, you know, the, the new algorithm for the next phase of growth in the company. And it tends to be a, you know, it, it can be a great partnership and a great uh, formula for um, continued great returns. Yeah, and that's a really good point, Dan. And I like how you brought up the fact that it's, uh, you know, not just about receiving the capital to grow the company, but it's that the guidance from the, you know, the P or the VC firm and, uh, you know, any resources that they might have to really help grow the the company because, you know, you, like you mentioned, you hit a certain point and, you know, then you're able to use the resources from the VC firm or the PE firm. And it's really, Andrew, it's becoming a differentiator in private equity yeah. um, and venture capital because, look, pr- private equity and private capital firms are popping up all over the place. I mean, they're growing. I mean, every seems like every week another one pops up. Um, there's there, so it, it's a bit of a seller's market um, because every you know, you know uh, capital's cheap, yep. um, interest rates are fairly low. So if you're a founder and you're looking for for capital and you're looking for investors. You know, you know, they're gonna they're gonna really look for a partner that's gonna bring something different other than just the money. And mm-hmm. so if uh, when you know, I, you know a lot of our private equity clients will come to the discussion and, and you know sharing where their expertise is, um, where they can help the company grow, continue to grow, and obviously in a very partnering way. Yeah. Um, so it's not just a you know it's not just a a financial engineering exercise anymore. Yeah, exactly, and that's a really good point to 
to have. Really, that wraps around this whole idea. Now, where do you see founders fall or tend to struggle the most following a PE investor entering that scene? Often the founder's able to get the firm, to get, get the company to, you know, I'll call it that first inflection of growth. Mm-hmm. They have the idea, they have the, whether it's a, you know, it's a product, it's a, it's an, you know, it's some sort of innovation or market opportunity. But what, what happens is, is the, 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 um, the founder is the catalyst for the growth in that first phase, but there's an inability to scale beyond the, 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 the founder CEO when he or she stays in place after this large investment mm-hmm. that, you know, takes place. There's, there tends to be this, this tension between where the founder, um, really has to, it's almost, it's an emotional decision has to make it, you know, has to, you know, almost go through uh, a decision-making process, uh, which really involves the fork in the road, creating greater value for their investors, um, through you know through you know hitting all of their growth goals or hitting whatever the value creation plan is, and start letting go of day to day decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, our experience is, is that founders have a really difficult time out of getting in the middle of the details, um, or getting in the middle of all of the day to day decision making that they probably had um, had access to and were involved in from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Remember what I said earlier. Um, one of the reasons that founders are successful and, and, and become an attractive investment is because they see this long-term opportunity, but they have this bias for action. They make things happen. And then, then all of a sudden they have, you know, another investor and that, you know, there's this, um, they, they, they have to make that they hit the fork in the roll in the, in the road of growth or control. Yeah. Um, the other area that we see founders often struggle is just having, um, you know, frankly, a lot of loyalty to people that were there, you know, probably either at the beginning or close to the beginning of the formation of the company. And, uh, you know, founders are often, um, you know, no- notoriously loyal to, uh, to the team that, that got them to where they are and sometimes have the inability to even detect or assess that some people on their team may not be growing fast enough with the company and, and are not scaling. And so often founders have a tough time, um, you know, making some of the tough people changes, mm-hmm. maybe um, splitting up roles into two or three when, you know, someone's wearing too many hats. Um, that's often a, a difficult a difficult decision, a difficult uh, roadblock for founders when they're, uh, you know, where they're growing. And, and PE investors, um, they know what great looks like. They know what great CFOs, CHROs, CIOs look like. And uh, as, as much as they try to convince or talk the founder um, into making a change or making an investment in, in, a, in a higher grade talent, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, sometimes a tough sell. Um, I think what we've also seen founders struggle with is the, the degree of transparency um, that's expected from the new investor. Or even you know even leveraging the expertise that the board provides. Um, if you're a founder and you've been running your company for five, ten, fifteen years a certain way, and all of a sudden you have a board that you're answering to, and you're you're you're, you're expected to share your financials and your your progress on your strategic initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, there, that's that's a that's just a, a level of um, you know check and balance that is that they're not accustomed to. And um, you know we've also often seen founders not. You know, very, uh, and it's not all, I don't mean to generalize, but founders often have a hard time even leveraging 
um, you know, some of the new resources that, that are accept, you know, are that they're um, accessible for them, whether it's on the board or with the uh, PE's operating groups. So uh, just just the willingness to tap into that because they think they've got everything figured out. So yeah. I think those are a few areas. Once again, is just uh, you know letting go of day to day decision making, some of the talent discussions, and then you know transparency and leveraging you know the investors the uh the you know, the investors and the board that's been established to help the company grow mm-hmm. yeah and those were really all great points dan and i want to bring up the point where you mentioned about you know let, letting go of day-to-day roles and i can only imagine how challenging that must be for you know a founder to you know stop doing something they've been doing every day for maybe you know 10 to 15 years or however long it, it's been since the company started and hand it off to someone else from the outside who's maybe not really accustomed to the company yet. And when when that transition's going on, do you do you see sometimes from your standpoint some cultures of companies getting damaged or kind of visit like a, a complete restructure of a culture? Or do do you see some that are, you know, remain pretty solid even with the new investor coming in and taking over a lot of the new uh, aspects of the company? like this, which is how do we scale and keep the secret sauce in the company? Yeah. And and often the secret sauce is, you know, something like, um, you know, keeping our extreme focus on the customer, um, agility, responsiveness, you know, not selling out to bureaucracy, empowering people and things like that. And, um, you know, and I think people, you know, Founders who have not worked in big systems before, such as larger companies, I think many times the reaction is as well, that's bureaucracy, that's slow, that you know, it violates our you know, the culture that, that got us to where we are. Mm-hmm. And there's some truth to that, but I don't think those are mutually exclusive. So um, you know, what we we often work with clients what we call uh, establishing a new enterprise operating model, which is how do you maintain speed and decision-making responsive to the client, but also do it at a larger scale when your organization may be two, three, four times the size than it is today. And, um, and, and, and I do think with, you know, an intentional focus around things like roles, structure, decision rights, metrics, things like that, if that's agreed up front, you absolutely can keep this, you know, that need for speed and responsiveness in place when you become a much larger company. But um, I think a lot of times, you know, companies do lose their way. And, and I know it's, it's a common fear that, that founders tend to have. Yeah, no, and I can definitely see that. And uh, seeing that quite often with a lot of companies that, you know, we've dealt with who have gone through, you know, some M&As and not really having full control. So it's definitely a challenge for them. Now, Dan, can founder CEOs really change if they have been successful so far? And how do you really get their attention? Well, Andrew, I'll just, I'm not going to act like it's easy. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> founders, you know, think about it. if you're, if you're a founder CEO um, and you, you've, uh, you've been successful enough that you've got a, a, some sort of significant investment for, from private equity or venture capital, you've obviously done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so it's really tough to tell, you know, a, you know, maybe a newly minted, uh, multimillionaire, multi-billionaire that it's time to change. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. 
In addition, add on top of that, they've got a huge emotional attachment to the business that they've established and the people that they put in place. Um, and often, you know, there's this, there's a, there's some overconfidence that, Hey, I've gotten it to where we are. No one knows the business like I do. I'm the only one with the, the vision, the passion. I know the customers, I know yeah. the product, I know the people. So I will say it, it's an uphill climb, um, to, to get there. It's, it's not insurmountable. Um, what we've found is, uh, with, when you have a founder CEO in place to, to get their attention, as you called it, to, to, is really um, not to work so hard to change them into something they're never going to become. So when you try to tell us, uh, you know, a founder CEO has been super successful, you need to be better at this. You need to be better at that. You're not, a, you know, you're, 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 I'll call it, you're playing to, you're trying to improve the weaknesses rather than play to their strengths. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, um, it, it's a tough sell. It's a tough change management um, activity. And I think our experience has been, has, has been more successful when um, we play to their strengths. And what I mean by that is um, instead of just, you know, focusing on what they can't do, and because they're, you know, you know, for whatever reason, they may not have been, you know, I'll call it classically trained, you know, at a management academy or school at another large company, but mm-hmm. playing to their strengths, determine how and where they create the most value for the company, determine and discuss where they have the most passion. And we've found that um, often, you know, founders like to dabble in everything, but you, you know, there's founders and I can say I'm, I'm similar. There's certain areas I like to play in. Um, founders often, you know, they are, are, are technology geeks. They love working with products. They love working yeah. on the stuff that they make and ship. Um, there's those that work that are better that, you know, just really thrive and they really, their, their passion and their ex, their greatest value to the company is their customer and account relationships. Then there's those that are they're just these crazy strategic visionaries um, that that's where they you know they align people they are very motivational and that's where they create you know the most economic value for the company. It, from our experience, double down on the areas that they they can add the most value and where they're the most passionate. In other words, that's where you steer their attention. So rather than trying to make the person who just loves loves product and technology try to turn them into something they're not, let's say financial acumen, you get a, you, know, you, you beat them because they don't understand cash flow or the balance sheet or whatever it may be. Our experiences make the tech, not the, the, the founder CEO, um, or not make, encourage him or her to be more involved in product strategy, mm-hmm. more involved in product roadmap and technology and innovation and things like that. The founder who, had, you know, really generates the most value or is most passionate and engaged around relationship building and the, you know, the key accounts that they manage, have him be the key account guy or the key account manager or something like that. Yeah. And those, you know, the, the, uh, the founder that may be um, the, the visionary strategist that I alluded to earlier, maybe their best role going forward is having them on, on the board of directors as opposed to actually running the day to day of the company. So, um, you can, you know, founders do like to learn and I'm not saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks, <laughs> but I think it's, you can be more successful getting them to focus on areas that, um, you know, that they, they quite frankly will, will add more value, but also, uh, be more excited and, and quite frankly, probably a better advocate of. Yeah. And that's really interesting, Dan. It's a, it's definitely, like you said, it's not an easy transition 
um, you know, the founders want to be a part of everything. They want to continue to be the driver of the growth. But I think when this transition goes on, uh, it's really hard for them to be able to sit down and realize, well, you're not necessarily being pushed out for something better, but your role is going to be kind of reversed and we're going to transition you into something else where you'll still add value, but not in the driver's seat. So it's, um, it's interesting to think what their mindset is going to be like when all this goes on is, are they wondering, Oh, this is better for the company or, Oh, this is worse for me. You know, it's a kind of like a little mixed bag of emotions for them. Well, Dan, that was a really significant conversation going into, you know, working with founders and, you know, the transition with CEOs. So, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and, uh, you know, delve into this important topic. Andrew, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I really appreciate the time. I think, um, you know, working with with founders, CEOs is, uh, is certainly um, a very prevalent practice and experience for many private equity and venture capital investors and human capital executives. And it's, uh, you know, it, it can be challenging because because many founders um, uh, are, are very passionate and emotionally attached to the, to the company that they've begun. But uh, but with the right planning and um, you know, some some of the right focus and tactics, um, it can be a, a very re- rewarding experience, not only for the founder but also the investment community. Yeah, and you know we really went deep into that transition and how it could be a successful transition. So um, you know it was a great conversation, and I know there's going to be a lot of uh, definitely a lot of engagement with this uh, topic. So you know again, thank you, Dan. And, uh, you know, I really hope, look forward to conducting another one of these podcasts with you. Great. Thank you. Oh, alongside Dan Hawkins, founder and president of Summit Leadership Partners, I'm Andrew Mitchell, and this is Talent Talks. <laughs> <laughs>